Hello and welcome to another episode of Fascinating Nouns. Now we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, as we arrive at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, the offbeat, the bizarre, the intriguing, the interesting, the invigorating, the quirky, the quaint, the quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, and all the spaces in between. I'm your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now, if you want to keep up with all things fascinating nouns, hear about new interviews, things coming up down the pipe, you can look at Fascinating Nouns on Facebook. You can sign up for the newsletter at fascinatingnouns.com. Or you can listen on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can also check out the Twitter page at Daniel J. Glenn. So here at Glencoe Studios, I typically do the bulk of the work that you see here, the lion's share. But that is not true for this particular episode. I have a summer intern named Olivia Del Vecchio, the old olive. Olivia, thank you for being my intern this summer. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Uh, so this is your episode. You produced this. Um, so tell us a little bit about what the episode is going to be. Okay, so this episode is about fingerboarding. Mm-hmm. And um, we are interviewing a professional fingerboarder named Taylor Rosenbauer. Mm-hmm. And he's an old friend of my cousin, so... An old friend of your cousin. So he, how old is he? <laughs> he's not an actual old person. Oh, oh what did you yeah. mean by that when you said he's an old friend? Or, well, I guess there's, yeah, they're still friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, well, it was her ex-boyfriend. Hey, <laughs> so they're still friends, though, so it's great. Well, that's great. So, and this is cool. I don't want this to like be an awkward situation. No, it's, if I talk no, to him, is this is some weird stuff going to come up. No, it'll be great. It'll be fine. Can he know you're behind it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, well, this sounds great. I don't know much about fingerboarding, so... Um, well, you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm about <laughs> to find out. That's very true. Uh, you want to give him a call and just get this thing on the road? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Uh, well, Taylor Rosenbauer, thank you so much for being on the show. Ah, thank you for having me. You know, I, I always like to explain fingerboarding because sometimes I get the craziest reactions. Either people have no idea what I'm talking about or look at me like, you know, I'm absolutely crazy. So I'm, I'm super thrilled you're, uh, you're taking a look into it. Well, I'm doing both, but you can't see because this is audio. But I am looking at the microphone in a very strange way. And I yeah, have, I figured. I have almost no idea what fingerboarding is. Uh, so, let's, so tell me, what is it in your words? Well, you know, the way, the way I see it is fingerboard itself is basically a miniature skateboard. Uh, it, it's about 10 centimeters long, ranges between 29 and 33 millimeters wide. Uh, and it basically has all the same components as an actual skateboard. So we're talking a deck, which is like the wooden surface. Back in the day, you know, they were just toys. They were, they were plastic. But today, you know, they're made out of actual wood. Um, they have a grip tape, which is the surface of the deck, just like a skateboard. Uh, they have trucks, bearing wheels, hardware, which holds the, the, the truck to the deck itself. Really everything that a skateboard has. And just like with a skateboard, you can interchange all of these parts based on your personal preference. So, I mean, that's what a fingerboard is. So I guess fingerboarding is, I guess, the act of performing tricks on a fingerboard. Uh, you use your middle finger and your index finger of your dominant hand. Uh, and all of the tricks are really performed exactly the same way they're done on a skateboard, uh, except, of course, using your fingers instead of your feet. <laughs> so this is basically skateboarding with all the athleticism, fear, uh, and danger pulled out of it. That's right. You know, you don't, you don't really have the fear factor that comes with skateboarding. There's really not so much balance, but of course that means you can get much more technical. Uh, so while you are still doing tricks that are, that are realistic in terms of how you're 
uh, of your finger movements and how they compare to the movements of your feet on a skateboard, um, you, you can still get much more complex with, with the combinations of tricks that you can do. Uh, so different in that sense. Uh, so now, isn't this the reason why people get into skateboarding in the first place? Is that sense of danger? You know, that's. <laughs> I don't know if if it's the sense of danger that draws people to skateboarding, um, or I guess I guess the adrenaline rush, maybe. But you know, people get into fingerboarding first before getting into skateboarding, and vice versa. It, it kind of works both ways. And I think the way it really started out is most people that were skaters that couldn't skate for whatever reason, whether it's bad weather or injuries, they turned to fingerboarding as, I guess, kind of a time killer or just something to do in their free time, which is, in fact, how I started. You started because you wanted to kill time? Actually, so (laughs) the story goes I was 14 years old. It was 2006. Mm. Freshman, just going into my freshman year of high school, um, you know, I was an avid skateboarder since I was probably nine years old. Um, skateboarding all the time. I did lots of sports. But the summer going into my freshman year of high school, I broke my arm. I was in a full arm cast. Um, At the time, I was a stock boy at a grocery store in Long Beach Island, southern New Jersey. And when you break your arm, middle of the summer, you can't really work. You have have quite a bit of free time on your hands. So Mm -hmm. I needed something to do to to kill the time. and so, hey, I, I turned to fingerboarding. Finger, fingerboards is it's something that I had already been involved with when I was probably nine years old. People had tech decks. They were plastic toys at the time. People liked trading them. They had all of these cool graphics, taking them apart, you know, um, trading, all of that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of people my age can probably relate to a time in high school or rather elementary school where there was maybe like a one-tier like phase of, of tech decking, as they called it. But... You know, that, that wore off for me like it did with most people. But, you know, when, when, uh, when I couldn't skate, 14 years old, turned back to, uh, to fingerboarding, and, and that's really how things uh, took off. So how did you break your arm? <laughs> Skateboarding, surprisingly enough. Doing what? I want specifically to know, were you trying to uh, – like, were you the subject of one of those, like, videos on, on YouTube where, like, you squash your <laughs> – genital region and your arm with the cover it and you smash into a pole I assume they call that a credit card (laughs) why do they call it a credit card wait why do they call it a credit card uh, it's just uh, you know how the board kind of you kind of land on the board in in not the best position (laughs) (laughs) that's great so that's not an official trick that's an accident (laughs) no no one would would purposely do a credit card Okay, so what happened? So you credit carded off, and then you broke no, it. no. In fact, oh. I I did not credit card. Thank thankfully. Okay. Um, so I was I, I do a lot of mini ramp skateboarding growing up, which is basically a small half pipe. So half pipes are I don't know what you'd see Tony Hawk riding. Um, you know they're they're those big fourteen foot ramps. But a mini ramp is basically the same thing like a half pipe, but it's about four feet tall. So you do much more technical tricks. Um, you can still do airs and whatnot, but the way the way I broke my arm was doing a frontside air on the mini ramp. You know, you ollie, you grab the board, and there's this term called hanging up, which is when you're about to re-enter the ramp coming coming down, and your back wheels get stuck on the coping, which is that metal bar at the top of the ramp. Mm-hmm. So as you expect to to smoothly re-enter the ramp, your your back wheels get hung up on the on the bar, and you basically just fall straight to flat, and and yeah. It's not 
fall straight to flat. So it's, it's true. Sometimes it's, I forget the, the, the terminology that most people don't 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 know. No, Falling to flat would be like the middle of the ramp where it's flat as opposed to the transition. So that's not part. where you want to land. The, the curve part's the transition. That's right. Okay. I'm going to ask you – I'm very old, so I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about terminology. For everyone else, I know what these mean, but it's mostly for the people listening. No problem. Okay, so you fell to flat, you broke your arm, and then you – so then you could not do your stock boy anymore, and you went home, and you're like, I'm going to fingerboard. Here's my question to you. If your arm is broken, and you skateboard, use your legs to skateboard, and use your hands to fingerboard – how could you not continue to skateboard, and how could you fingerboard? Right. So, in fact, I probably could have still skateboarded, except, you know, it would probably throw my balance off being in a full arm, ca- arm cast that goes from, from your wrist all the way up to your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, the truth is my parents just wanted me off the board. They were pretty strict growing up. Um, when you're in a full arm cast, especially something from an injury from skateboarding, they just wanted me off the board for a couple of months to, to make sure I fully recovered. So, so your parents did not want you to be tough. They wanted to kind of baby you. Exactly. You. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> they, they cared about you too much. <laughs> Definitely. So I take so, it your, your left hand was the one that was broken. That's right. Okay. That's right. My left arm. So that was pretty lucky. Uh, so then how did you start this thing? So now how does one get into it? Like, I mean, I know that you probably have the mentality of skateboarding so that you can kind of transition that into a mini board. But how do you make your hands do what your whole body does. Right. So, you know, going back a little bit, like I said, tech decks were really just a toy. Not many people were trying to actually do tricks on them. Um, but those that were would maybe just like slap the whole thing with their hand and, and hit the tail, make it go flying. No one was really trying to create actual skateboard tricks. I mean, there were a few people, but it was extremely rare. Um, in fact, when I first started, when I was like nine years old, just messing around with the things, I used three fingers. But today, fingerboarding as a sport, uh, you use two fingers, all very realistic tricks. So the way that I started was, of course, like you said, having the, 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 the framing, the reference of skateboarding, um, being a skateboarder myself, I, I, you know, I found it rewarding to, to create tricks on, on a fingerboard the same way you do them on a, on a skateboard. Um, it's more rewarding. It looks cool. And when I started making videos, that's really what uh, grabbed people's attention. So I take it that you can probably do – look, I don't know. I have absolutely zero idea how good you are as a skateboarder. I've only watched your fingerboarding stuff. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that it's probably easier and your tricks look smoother on a fingerboard and you can try crazier stuff. Uh, and there's less, a significantly less risk of getting credit carded with a fingerboard. Right? Definitely. So, right. The, you know, the injuries are not prevalent in, in fingerboarding. But – I wouldn't say that it's necessarily easier. Sure, if you're comparing the exact same trick, like learning to ollie, which is basically how you jump on a skateboard. Learning to ollie on a skateboard versus a fingerboard, I, all right, you, you, it's probably easier on a, on, a, on a fingerboard. But because fingerboarding is easier than skateboarding, the complexity, I guess the standard or the difficulty of tricks is raised. Um, so, I mean, the tricks don't really match up trick for trick um, in terms of difficulty, but you're still doing much more complex stuff with fingerboarding. Okay. And so now you, now is this taken seriously by the skateboarding community? Because it's a little less badass than skateboarding, but it's still pretty cool in its own right. Right. So a lot of 
fingerboarders are skateboarders themselves. Um, that's how a ton of people get into it. But, of course, there are the skateboarders. I mean, you know the mentality. I mean, they, oh, they I look do. at it like a toy. Yeah, I, yeah. They're like, you know, what, what are you guys doing? Why don't you just get a real board? I mean, some of the YouTube comments are just, they're awful. I mean, they're like, oh, it's such a waste of time. You have too much free time on your hands. But yeah. They're so intolerant of fingerboarders, and I don't like it. I'm going to change that view. <laughs> it's, it's true. But, um, you know, you, you just get used to it over time. Most of them don't even know. I was a skateboarder myself. I've competed in skateboarding. Um, and, you know, the people leaving these comments hardly even skate themselves most of the time. So exactly. it's, it's trolls. The Internet trolls, Taylor. Don't get, don't get sucked it. into it. <laughs> yes, the trolls. They'll get you. They'll get you. So, now you, so you do competitions. Yes. I mean, it's, oh, geez, it's been a while. But, yeah, there are competitions. You can find them all over the world these days. Um, the big one is called Fast Fingers in Germany. People travel from all over the world. Um, you know, I'll go to these contests. I'll be sitting at a table, and there will be six different languages being spoken around these tables while everyone's fingerboarding. It's, it's the most surreal experience ever. And then you can go to events. Uh, there's one called the Rendezvous in Massachusetts. Um, you know, it's actually a funny story how that started. So the Rendezvous is basically just an in-person, a meetup of all fingerboarders, mostly in the United States. People do fly in from Germany and France and, and all over, primarily uh, guys in the U.S. But the way it started was actually probably about a year or two after I started taking fingerboarding, I guess, seriously. Um, there was a really strong online community. There was forums where people would share their videos and, and, and share their, their setups, their, their fingerboard setups, and basically talk about any and everything to do with fingerboarding. And so it was really all online. People would make videos and whatnot, but there really weren't any meetups. Until I met this guy named Mike Schneider, who lived in Massachusetts, and I was living in New Jersey, and we decided to actually meet up. So it would be Mike and a couple of his friends from high school and myself and some of my friends from high school. And we made the drive up to Massachusetts to meet him at his house and just have like a, a get together, just a meet up, whatever. Like a rendezvous. And, and that's exactly what we called it, rendezvous. <laughs> and so that was, I guess, rendezvous one. And funny enough, coming up on August 15th is rendezvous 21. What? Now there are nearly a thousand people that show up to this event Everything, I mean, there's three of them a year, two to three a year. Um, always hundreds and hundreds of kids showing up, sometimes nearly a thousand. Um, that, I mean, it used to be at his house, used to be in his driveway. We'd set up tables and make ramps, and it was actually really fun. Now it's like a huge venue, and there's sponsorship and shops set up. People are buying products, and there's little contests going on. It's, it's crazy, but it's, it's grown into something really, really massive. So you are a millionaire then if this is so big. Are you still a part of it? I, you know, this is Mike kind of continued the rendezvous. It's still held up in Andover, Massachusetts. So it's kind of his event. He actually runs a company called Flatface, um, which actually is one of my sponsors, full disclosure. <laughs> um, so they, they kind of run this whole event. Uh, just for you are allowed to shamelessly plug whatever that is your right as a guest on the show. Oh, I'm just gonna tell you fantastic. That. 
so you so are you are you getting your beak wet on this rendezvous thing or are you a cut out completely like do we have to badmouth mike schneider is he cool <laughs> no way so mike and i are still extremely close friends um you know i know i know everyone that runs runs the events um it's like a very family oriented company that puts on an amazing event i mean they they go all out for this thing and so i you know being working full-time in manhattan i i can't find the time to go to as many of them as i'd like but when i do it's it's just a really great experience uh so what's the age range of these things sure so you know when we talk about the scene like the community of fingerboarders in the united states it's actually a little bit younger than what you'd find in europe where in fact it was even larger fingerboarding was larger in europe than it was in the United States for quite a bit of time. Um, but the age range nowadays is probably 14 to 20, late 20s. A um, lot of older guys now, I mean, now that a lot of us have grown up. Um, but, you know, in, in Europe, especially in Germany, a lot of the guys are in their 30s. Like, they're all-time skaters, like amazing skaters. And they put on these great events sponsored by Black River, another one of my sponsors, amazing company that hosts flat, uh, Fast Fingers in Germany. Um, where thousands of people show up from all over the world, uh, and definitely an older scene over there. But yeah, I guess 14 to 30. It's a pretty broad range, but uh, yeah. So is that like the average retirement age is 30? <laughs> from from the fingerboard career, right? Yeah. Is, is that when it is about 30? That's a give or take. <laughs> I wouldn't say many people are retiring. <laughs> this is more. Uh, not many people do it full time unless you're running these companies. Oh. Um, but you know, it's. Uh, I guess that's just kind of where where the age range age range lies that I that I've found. I don't know. There there are older people that do it, no doubt, but uh, I I wouldn't speak in terms of retirement. Well, I guess when you start hitting your thirties, it's kind of weird to hang out with fourteen year olds and small skateboards. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. No, I mean no offense. I just you're absolutely strange, right. You, know? you should you should look at some of the photos because that's no, that's, that's illustrated. The feds will be at my door, I think, if I started looking at some of those videos. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, so now because it's so popular in Europe, is that why you describe the board in the metric system and not the uh, U.S. standard system? Ah. You picked up on that. You're absolutely right. I picked yeah. up on everything, Taylor. I picked up on everything. Is that why? You're right. Yes, exactly. Um, Some so- of the first professional fingerboards were manufactured in Germany by a company called Berlin Wood. Um, actually, made out of, you know, they're out of Berlin, um, in, and they're sold through Black River, which is in Schwarzenbach, Germany, which actually is German for Black River. <laughs> you just tied everything together. That was amazing. Uh, that's a great soundbite. So there are still competitions. So would you consider yourself retired from the community, or are you still active in competitions? I, I, I unfortunately, I, I would not consider myself active or nearly as active as I was. Uh, for instance, it's been I think two years since I put out a YouTube video, um, and you know I, I've shown up to a couple events here and there, but you know I'm. I graduated from college a year ago. I'm working full-time. I'm working at a startup right now, actually, so my life is just consumed with work. But, you know, I still have a fingerboard at my desk at all times. Uh, I do have plans to put out new videos, but I wouldn't say, I mean, you never really stop doing it. It's, it's incredibly addicting. I can imagine so. Uh, so now, when you were in your prime, can we talk about the prime of your career for a second? Of course. Were you ever a national or world champion? What, are your, what were your accolades? Jeez. So I actually, I think one of the first 
big things that you know I was recognized for was win was winning first place in a rail jam contest, which was where you created a 40 second video. It was an online contest, the first real contest that was ever organized with sponsored sponsored prize packages and all that thing. So I won first place in that, which I guess really started putting my name out there, you know, along with you know the presence I'd already created just from making YouTube videos. Um, but of course, since then there's been world championships they call them, I guess. Um, you know, I won first place in a Tech Deck sponsored contest at a skate park in New Jersey, um, where you know Tech Deck flew out, you know, people from all over the world to come to these contests and um, really, really special events. But now, I mean, like I said earlier, there's these there's these events called Fast Fingers in Germany. Um, tons and tons of people compete, um, but. I think the last event I, you know, the last contest I entered, I was in 11th place out of like 400 people. Um, it's, you know, it's really a crazy experience competing at one of these huge events because, you know, let me, let me, let me describe it. So there's a fingerboard park in the middle of, of I guess, an, a mini arena. And there's like bleachers completely surrounding this park in the middle and spotlights in the middle and then a panel of judges and everyone is watching and cheering. And it's crazy because when you first enter these contests, your hands are shaking, they're sweating. You're, I mean, they're like sticking to the fingerboard. It's, it's awful. So it takes, it takes a lot to adjust from, you know, making videos at home or just fingerboarding on your desk to actually competing. It's a, it's a huge shift in, in mentality um, and in, in trick difficulty and, and planning out your runs. There's a lot of strategy behind it. Well, you have to be clutch. I mean, would you consider yourself clutch when it comes to, like, a live event? Or are you a guy who hides behind a video camera and redoes his takes over and over again? Where, where do you fall <laughs> on the spectrum? You know, I, I do – I've always considered myself a, a, a performer under pressure, not just with fingerboarding, with lots of, it, lots of different things. So I put myself more in that category, but still, I mean, when your first competition, when – you know, I flew to Germany, and there was people that knew my name. They were singing the, video, the, the songs from some of my most popular videos, coming up to me for autographs. I never met any of them. And they're, you know, they're like, all right, let's, let's like see what you can do. Like, let's see the tricks, all the tricks you've done in your videos. And it's just such a crazy experience to, to perform, I guess, which is something I'd never really done before uh, coming to these like international meetups. So that is uh, pretty amazing. I mean, would you consider yourself, I mean, that's incredible when you really think about it, that like people mm -hmm. you've never met coming up to you, like when I think of fingerboarding, I, I mean, I don't know the big names, you know, I know the, the, the Taylor Rosenbauers of the world, but I don't know like the, who's popular now. But I can only imagine what it's like to walk in there and people are like, oh, my God, uh, and then they get pictures with your fingers and, like, it's like a whole thing, you know? You're exactly right. I've, I've, I'm seriously, you feel like a mini celebrity. I mean, you're, you're literally signing any and everything. Uh, I've signed guys, like, hands and stuff, their fingerboard products, photos that they have of, like, our, our, our team. Um, oh, it's, it's absolutely surreal because you just don't really get, you don't really feel that when you see numbers on a YouTube video, the numbers of views, the comments, you, you still, I mean, it just doesn't really feel like real people all the time until you show up and there's crowds of people standing around you and we're sitting at tables and there's lines of people waiting to, to meet with you and introduce themselves and um, show, and they want to show me like, look at this board I made or what do you think of this or that? It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It sounds completely nuts. I mean, I can only imagine like what that's like. Um, now, do you have your fingers insured by Lloyd's of London or anything like that? 
<laughs> I do not. <laughs> do you think maybe you should? Have I given you yeah, a maybe, really important idea? Yeah, I might. I might have to look into that. <laughs> so when you go, do you consider? I mean, do people consider you kind of like the Tony Hawk or Flying Tomato of fingerboarding? You know, honestly, yeah. Um, in fact, there's, there's like a group of us in the United States that have just gotten to this level of, of trick difficulty and have really made a name for ourselves in, in, in the United States or just really online. So there's like a, there's like a, there's a top tier group of us that I guess most people recognize or at least associate with, with, uh, with fingerboarding. Some of those names are Mike Schneider, Jay Linehan, um, a whole bunch of people really. But, um, yeah, I mean, people people know the name, and people, in fact, recognize my hand, which is really strange. In fact, so, I mean, in all of these videos that I'd be creating, it's always my hand in the video, right? Um, you never really see my face. Until I did a two-year contract with Disney, um, you know, they approached me uh, after seeing some of my YouTube content, and they wanted me to create content for Disney.com. And for the first time, I saw an opportunity to create content but I was like, it's Disney. I absolutely have to get my face on camera in some way. Uh, this is my shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I decided to come up with a tutorial series. I called it Fingertips. And it would basically be an introduction to fingerboarding, taking you through some of the basic tricks. But it would be my face on camera explaining how to do these tricks. Um, you know, I convinced them to send me a Red Epic cinema camera, which is, I don't know, if you go to the movie theaters these days, I mean, most... A lot of movies are filmed with an epic, um, a red epic camera. Uh, I mean, it's like $85,000 just for the brain, let alone like the, some of the lenses are like over a hundred grand. It's a crazy cinema camera, but it can shoot high speed film. Well, not actual film, it's all digital, but it shoots high speed, uh, like 300 frames per second, which is extremely important because when you first see fingerboard tricks, it's overwhelming. You have no idea what's going on. You can't see all the intricate little movements and, and what, what your fingers are actually doing. So when you can actually break that down and, and show high speed slow motion of these tricks, I thought that would be incredibly valuable to learning how to do it. And so that's, that's a... That's how I got my face on, on Disney.com. It was advertised on the Disney Channel. And some of those episodes with absolutely no advertising put behind the episodes have like 500, 600,000 views each. Crazy. That's absolutely nuts. crazy. Without any advertisement. No advertising. Those are all organic views. Wow. Yeah, so that was a huge success. Uh, very proud of the work that I did. So that was for two, two years with Disney. Um, that, that one thirty episode uh, series I did for them filmed you know I filmed it produced it edited motion graphics everything produced it in my basement and shipped it onto the Disney servers in California. Wow, in your basement? In my basement, I think it was two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. Wow. Um, so now, when you had the conversation with them and you're like, "Hey, look, I got this really avant-garde idea. I want to show my face." Were they like? absolutely out of the question only people only want to see your hands you know i didn't really phrase frame it in that way the, sure. I, I sh <laughs> the, the the way i approached it is listen some kids try to turn on their their crappy little camcorders and and try to explain how to do tricks but there just isn't isn't a high quality professional series by someone who is recognized in the fingerboard community explaining how to do these tricks um, it just doesn't exist. And these, this is the type of content that is evergreen in the sense that, 
you know, you, you, you put like how to Ollie and you throw that in the description and the SEO value just builds up over time. Um, people will be searching that forever uh, for as long as fingerboarding is around. And, you know, you just build and build and build views. Um, and so the, the long-term value was, was, was great. The, the potential for what it could become, like the, the go-to tutorial series for fingerboarding. And, and they loved the idea, so we, we rolled with it. So are you still making a little bit of scratch on this? A little money? Yeah, so <laughs> there's, a different, there's a couple different ways that we monetized it. Um, of course, it was monetized through advertising, and I sold the, license, the licensing to, to Disney, but also negotiated um, a percentage of the ad revenue. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> that's actually how I still generate revenue for my YouTube channel, which was partnered with, uh, with YouTube for quite some time, and then the full screen network. And the great thing about that is I've created videos, I don't know, six, seven years ago that are still you know, getting hit and still generating revenue without doing anything. That's um, and it's that's like... actually how, that's how I was able to reinvest you know, growing up and, and with fingerboarding and learning how to create videos. That's how I was able to reinvest those ad dollars back into the production quality of the videos I was making. So I was buying actual film cameras and, and lighting setups and dollies and sliders, camera cranes, the works. And then I was creating, you know, like, cine, like cinematic fingerboard videos that just had never been done before. Um, and that's actually what I do full time now. So everything I've learned about filmmaking is from fingerboarding. It's pretty neat. Well, and it's also that system, like, is... The, almost the ideal version of residuals, you know, like where it can live forever and you'll always make money on every hit, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's just, that's just one channel of revenue. I mean, then you have sponsorship, um, you know, guerrilla campaigns where you make shout-outs to different companies. There's product placement that I did for Red Bull. Um, I just had a Red Bull in my left hand while I was fingerboarding with my right hand. Um, so many different, different opportunities um, to actually make money off of this thing. Now, does that ever make you feel dirty? That's a little shameless to be like, oh, I love Red Bull. It gives you wings and with your left hand while like, you got the fingerboard in the air. You know what I mean? Like, is that, does that ever well, feel gross <laughs> or does it just feel delicious? Honestly, I mean, you're, you're right to an ex a certain extent if you look at it that way. But to like the fingerboard community that a company as established as Red Bull is taking an interest in fingerboarding, I mean, that's just the coolest thing ever. It almost like legitimizes what we were doing. I mean, here we are just with our cameras making videos and doing little meetups, and all of a sudden Red Bull, you know, wants to do some type of product placement, some type of content partnership. That's the coolest thing ever. And people are like, whoa, I mean, there's some real potential for, for fingerboarding. I mean, look at skateboarding, all the corporate sponsorship. I mean, that just, that's what makes it run. Um, and so the fact that that was kind of, carrying over into fingerboarding was actually a really, really big deal. Well, so let me ask you that. And I'm not bad-mouthing Red Bull. If they, listen, if you're out there listening, Red Bull, I'd love to have you sponsor the show. I'm happy to hold a Red Bull in both hands. I have both hands free. Taylor only has one hand. I'm just going to make <laughs> put that out there right now. But, you know, you know skateboarding is, I mean, it, it's not as underground now as it used to be, but I feel like there's still, like, that purity of, like, not selling out. And once you have, like, a major corporate sponsor, doesn't, isn't, isn't there, like, that kind of, is that gone now, this selling out idea? Interesting question. So I think, you know, what you've described is spot on for, for a very long period of time. Now you have skateboard competitions like the Street League, which is, like, 
the competition, the um, tournament of skateboarding right now, aside from like I guess the X Games or something like that. Um, and the sponsorship is crazy, and you're you'd be surprised that all these skateboarders, some even skateboarders that are um, I guess on the come up, like amateurs are agreeing to even enter these contests in the first place with all of these sponsorships. Um, but it's a reality, it's happening and it's keeping skateboarding alive and it's putting skateboarding in the public eye. Of course, you're gonna have people that don't like that. They want it to be this underground thing like, you, like you're saying. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, 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 I guess it's kind of like that with, with fingerboarding. Um, there's, there's different mediums for, for people to, you know, participate, you can go the competition route, you can go, you know, this, be in the spotlight, be in these competitions, but I mean, you can also just keep it an individual thing, um, make it whatever you want it to be, create videos at your desk, you know, just mess around with it. So, I mean, I guess it really depends on how involved or the intensity uh, of, you know, how, how you think about fingerboarding and how much you want to be involved. That's a very political answer. I'm, I'm impressed with the way you kind of dodged that. That's great. Um, <laughs> no, you did a great job. I'm just kidding. Uh, so now let's get back to competitions for a second. I think I, I, I waylaid you. Um, so the competitions, when you think about the logistics of it, you're talking about a miniaturized skate park. It's almost like a flea circus in a way where it's this small thing. So if you have people watching it, it's not exactly a spectator sport. Um, and is it considered a sport, by the way? Uh, that's another question I want to ask now that I've just said the word. Sure. Um, well, let's talk about whether it's a sport, I guess, first. Jeez, okay. um, I mean, whether or not it's a sport, I mean, even trying to classify something as a sport is, I mean, I find myself deba debating that all the time with all sorts of things. In fact, I, I was just debating whether sailing is a sport. I grew up as a competitive sailor. But, I mean, at, at, when it comes to fingerboarding, at the very heart of it, you know, technically speaking, I would call it a sport. I mean, it's an activity. It takes a certain degree of skill and, you know, dexterity, hand-eye coordination, and there are competitions. But, you know, when you kind of put it in the same pool as, like, I don't know, basketball or ice hockey, it doesn't, it doesn't quite feel right. But I guess it, it really just depends, like, how technical you're speaking. So technically, yeah, I think it's a sport, but at the same time, it's definitely not a sport because, I mean, what do sports have? They have strict guidelines. There's a clear objective. There are rules. There are penalties. When it comes to skateboarding or fingerboarding, you, it's, it's, complete, it's like complete freestyle. You, you make it whatever you want it to be. You can be as creative, um, really do whatever you want with it. Um, so it's very in, individualistic in that sense. Um, with all the creativity and the, how, how personalized you can get with it. But you can enter, like, contests and make it more of a sport. Uh, so I guess it really depends what, you know, what you're, what you're doing with it. Well, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, well, so let's just assume that it is a sport. I mean, I think you can make an argument both ways, and I think in mm -hmm. some ways it is. So that would imply that there's a competitive aspect to it. So right. let's, so when we're talking about competitions, how do you compete? Like, how are people ranked? You know, I assume it's similar to the Olympics in, in the scoring system in a way. And, and, how, and the logistics of it, I'm asking a lot of questions at once, sorry. And the logistics of just seeing it as a spectator sport, you know, because it's so small. Right. So, I mean, the people that you find spectating these types of events are fingerboarders themselves, and they can recognize tricks from afar. So, sure, as you're, as you're doing tricks and you're walking circles around a fingerboard park, of course, there's going to be instances where you just can't even see what's going on. But 
believe it or not, there are these production companies that are hired to cover like live streams of these events with multiple camera angles, huge um, like a screen that you know is a live feed of what you're seeing. So you can just look at the screen and see a close-up of exactly what's going on. Um, so I mean, it, it does work as a spectator spectator sport. Um, I mean, people are so into it. People are cheering. People are, you know, when, when someone lands a difficult trick, people go crazy. <laughs> so it, it definitely does work as a spectator sport. But the way scoring works, it's nearly identical to skateboarding. Um, there are, are a panel of judges that are, that are overlooking the park, and they're looking for things like trick difficulty, um, realism, you know how I mean? Are you popping like extremely high, like just all over the place, or does it like actually look and feel like actual skateboard tricks? There's a huge emphasis on that in in the fingerboard community, um, and uh, you know they just score you based on you know your your 100 point scale, uh, and I mean that's that's really all there is to it. You have multiple heats, just like skateboarding. Then you have the finals. Um, typically, you have two heats and then a finals, and then you know, maybe the top two will play a game of skate, which is the equivalent of like a game of horse in basketball. It's actually a, a game that a lot of people play uh, at like fingerboarding meetups. So, you know, in a game of horse in basketball, you take a shot from a certain position and someone has to replicate that, that, that exact same shot. So like the game of skate with, with fingerboarding is you do a trick and the person has to match it. They screw it up, they get an, the letter S. You know, you spell out the word skate, you lose. Um, so, yeah, that's typically how they decide, like, the, the winner um, in fingerboard competitions because everyone absolutely loves that. Uh, so this is a question that I didn't ask you before, um, but I really want to know this. You, you're not that old. You're, you know, you started this when you were nine, you said. What does it feel like to, at such an early age, be the best in the world at something? <laughs> you know, it's it's really strange. It doesn't, and kind of like what I was saying earlier, it doesn't really hit you until you actually start seeing these people in person and start being recognized. I, I'll even still go to skate parks. Um, you know, I live in Hoboken, New Jersey right now. I'll go to the skate park in Hoboken, and these kids recognize me from YouTube and are like taking pictures with me. That's when it really sets in and, and really hits you. It's It's very, very surreal. But I don't know. Being the best in the world, first of all, I I don't even know if you can ever really say that um, because, I mean, there's so many different styles and uh, everyone's doing their own personalized batch of tricks. It's difficult to really say, okay, you're number one. But it, it is true for quite some time. I was one of the most recognized names in fingerboarding. Um, and it's crazy. I don't know. It's It keeps you motivated. It keeps you making videos. makes you want to get better and better. Um, but I mean, let me tell you, trying to explain to people before fingerboarding was recognized at all, trying to explain to people what I'm doing, sitting at my desk, making videos, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's really not easy. So there's a very niche community, um, when it first started. So I, I didn't really get that recognition from like people around me. It was really just online for the most part. It was like respect from a very, 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 very specific demographic. Exactly right. Well, that's fair. Uh, but you, so now, would you say you were a professional at one point? And by professional, I mean you made a living doing it. Absolutely. Oh yeah. What, what kind of money's in this? Well, and geez, how, I and mean, how, and how long would it take me to be good at it? <laughs> Very different question. So, um, <laughs> geez, 
you you can make a living off of doing it. Um, as I mean, assuming you become involved in every channel of revenue there is. I mean, doing sponsorship, doing um, TV ads, commercials for like like I was doing stuff for Spin Master, which is a huge toy company that owns Tech Deck. So I would do commercials for them. I would do I was a content provider for Disney. I did stuff for my own personal YouTube channel and stuff for other people's YouTube channels. Product placement, um, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Are you, are you familiar with Mattel? They've yes, I'm you know, toy manufacturer of like Barbies. <laughs> yes, and Hot Rods and Hot Wheels. Right. I mean. Not they created X Games Fingerboards, another toy product, not really taken seriously, but I mean, they want a name to associate their brand with. So, I mean, if you continue to take on these opportunities, it really, it really does build up. But, I mean, the future is just, is just too uncertain to commit to, unless you're like a Mike Schneider running Flat Face Fingerboards, which is a company, or, or running Black River Rams, which is a huge online store that does both skateboarding and fingerboarding. Unless you're really involved on the company side, uh, just as an individual, I think it's too, too uncertain to, to commit full-time to. So at this you, point, anyway. So you never got it. You never went that route. You kind of like, in a sense, left that kind of behind you. You didn't get into like the, because the names you're mentioning are the people you started rendezvous with. That's right. I mean, keep in mind when I was like, you know, the golden years. I was still in school. Um, and by you school, know, you I, mean like elementary school. Elementary school, high school, and then college. I really started fading away from it. Just no time. Um, but you know, it's funny. It's not like I, I don't remember ever making a clear decision like, hey, you know, I can't do this full time because I always had my eyes set on something way, way more ambitious. I started a freelance video production company doing motion graphic design. Um, I planned to go to law school and study entertainment law. And these weren't things that I was doing just because, you know, I needed, I needed a full time career. I was extremely passionate about these things and knew I wanted to do them full time anyway. Um, so fingerboarding was just that thing always in the back of my mind. It's just something to do. Extra revenue in my free time. I could always, you know, create a video here and there. But I don't remember ever truly deciding, like, okay, I can't do this full time. I need to learn something else or, or get, like, a corporate job or something. That, that really never happened. So are you going to go back to fingerboarding? Like, or is this just a hobby from here on out and it will slowly fade into your early years? You know, it's funny. This conversation is good timing because I actually do have plans after having not made a video in, I think, two years. Um, I, I recently got connected with the YouTube studios. Uh, they have, you know, Google sets up YouTube studios and there's like one in most of the major, major cities. Um, you know, LA, New York, they have them in Europe. Um, it's basically top of the line production facilities for people with over 5,000 YouTube subscribers. And so you can attend a course at one of these locations to unlock the space, they call it. And then you get access to all of this top-of-the-line video production equipment, all of these different studios, and you can go in and make video content. And so I actually just went through this application process a few weeks ago, and oh my gosh, the, the wheels were turning as I was taking a tour of the facilities and the, the, the type of videos that I can create with, these, with this resource. It, it would be a shame not to to take advantage. So I do see myself making videos again very soon. I also have ideas for an app in the work, um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I try to be as as involved with the, with the scene as possible, but you know, like I said, I'm I'm working at a startup right now, which is consuming most of my time. Um, so I'm kind of juggling a lot a lot right now. But you're plenty a comeback, is from what I is what I hear. That's what I want to tell the people who are listening to this that a comeback is in the works. Yeah, hey, I, I sure I would call it that because I mean they they are these kids are messaging me on on my social platforms on YouTube. Some people started a rumor that I was dead at one point, like asking where have I been and why aren't you making videos? And people people want to see something, so uh, I am excited to uh, to put something out there. You're gonna get pulled back into this. So now, how yeah. did this how did this Taylor is dead rumor start? And did you find the person? Jeez, I I have no idea where it started, but I I saw the the, the product of it spread across lots of the comment sections on my Facebook page, on my YouTube. I mean, my YouTube channel right now is just basically completely inactive, aside from the videos that are already up there generating. Um, hits and whatnot. I just haven't put anything new. So one, of the, one day I was just going through um, the YouTube comments. Sometimes I do it just to humor myself. And I see like a whole string of comments talking about like people heard that I, that I died and like, um, and it just spread and spread. And I saw that bleeding into like the, the comments on my Disney videos. It was all over the place. <laughs> kind of uncomfortable, but uh, I, I'd like to put that rumor to rest. Well, at any point while you were reading this, did like a fear creep into your head that like maybe I, like the sixth sense, you know what I mean? Like maybe you were dead and like you didn't know it. Did you know, that, that, that might that, that might have actually happened. <laughs> I don't know. A small, I don't period, a small window. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so now let's talk about some of the tricks that you do. Um, do you have a okay. favorite? Do you have a favorite trick, or like, is there a trick that you can only pull off on fingerboarding? You just haven't been able to translate it into skating. Huh. So I mean, when it comes to first of all tricks, there's like different categories of tricks. There's like flat ground tricks where you're just doing flip tricks on like a flat surface. Then there's like rail tricks where you're doing grinding tricks and there's transition. So like to pick a favorite out of all of those is very difficult. Um, I don't know. Your your viewers would have no idea if I said my favorite was like fakey heel flip. <laughs> oh, they know, they know um, what that is. And they're listeners, by the way. They're not viewers. Not ah, all of us are, good call. are on video. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, so now let me ask you a couple of the questions about your when you were at your prime. Now these are very serious questions. I need you to take them very seriously. All right. Uh, did you do finger agility exercises, or did you have like a specific food regimen? Um, and and throughout your training, has one hand become bigger than the other? <laughs> no, to all of you above. Unfortunately, really? <laughs> I never found there's there's really no training involved. Um, aside from just practice, practicing the tricks themselves, but outside of of doing fingerboard tricks, no, you're not you're not really doing finger push-ups or or anything like that. Um, I guess, in fact, one person actually I saw a video where someone like opened up their video doing finger push-ups for the humor, but uh, no, no, no one really does anything like that seriously. What about pads and precautions, and are there any associated injuries with fingerboarding? Jeez. Per- Pads? No, no one. I mean, no one really puts anything uh, uh, for style. <laughs> I, I see like a trend. Some people have like wristbands or like I don't know these crazy like rings and stuff. I don't know. What about one knuckle- guy in Germany about, like- even has a full tattoo of a skeleton like going down his hand? 
it's crazy. <laughs> That's actually really funny. What about like knuckle pads, like on your, you know, on your big knuckles, just in case like you slip and, no. up and hit the ground? <laughs> no way. That would that would just make things more difficult. Um, I mean, okay. sometimes people try to create like realistic fingerboard videos as if your hand is actually a person, and so they'll like create like fake clothes for the thing, just like for the storyline or <laughs> or whatever. Or like you take shoes. But anyone who's doing fingerboarding seriously wouldn't do any of that. Oh, that's so funny. Fake shoes. Is there a company that makes fake shoes for fingerboarders? Like You know, there actually was. I couldn't give you a name, but there definitely was. No, you can't give me a name because they're not a sponsor, or you really don't know it? <laughs> no, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I'm not that bad. That's really funny. Now, what about tips for people coming into the sport? Sure. So, I mean... You want to pick it up, there's probably a couple things, some prerequisites, I guess. you gotta, you got to have patience. I mean, when you, when you first see one of these things, you, you don't even know how to position your, your hand on it, and it never does what you want it to do. Um, you know, I was always very fidgety growing up. I always needed to be doing something. So, so having this, having like a fingerboard on my desk was always, you know, was perfect. Um, I do all sorts, uh, I, I do juggling piano, yo-yo, like all these different things. So like, I guess I kind of had a knack for the, the repetitiveness of doing things over and over again. Um, so, I mean, if, if that's part of your personality, that'll, that'll certainly help. Yeah. Um, You're like a little spazzy, like a spaz pants or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call it that. So let's hit promo time. Where can people see these videos? Um, like where, I mean, I know you haven't made one in a while, but I got to tell you, honestly, these things are strangely hypnotic when you're watching them. Uh, uh-huh. they're, they're great videos. I think I saw hey, Grand Illusion I made, 3. Uh, I made amazing. a YouTube video called Hypnotic. Just throwing that out there. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Yes, Grand Illusion. That was the name of a video series I did. Um, my sponsor, Black River, out in Germany, sent me a huge fingerboard park um, that I kept in my basement for a while. So I wanted to create a video series around this single park. So I created a series called Grand Illusion, which was basically just a montage of very difficult fingerboard tricks on this park. Um, and it ended up being a four-video um, four series. I, there, there's four of them. Um, that live on my YouTube channel. And it's and the YouTube channel is, what's, how can people find it? Oh, just search my name, Taylor Rosenbauer, and you'll find all my stuff. And I'll have links to it on the website as well. And so tell me a little bit about this app before I let you go. Oh, you know, unfortunately, I'm not quite ready to, to talk about it. <laughs> then why did you mention it? That's a tease. That's a tease, it, sir. That's exactly what it is, strategically. So there's an app coming out of unknown origin, and no one's quite clear what the function is, but you are behind it. Let's just say that right now, there is not a single app geared towards fingerboarding. As of right now. There are games that try to simulate finger or uh, skateboarding, and you try to control the board. I'm not talking about a game. Um, something that the fingerboard community can really use to connect with one another, engage with industry content, share their video content, um, connect with uh, people all around the world, uh, all in one place, anywhere they go. That's that's as much as I'm willing to say. That's fair enough. Uh, well, that is a great place to end it. A mystery of the future app from Taylor Rosenbauer. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This has been really fun. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. And a big thank you to Olivia Del Vecchio for putting this thing together, guest producing on this particular episode. And thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night.